<laughs> I can already hear the nervous chuckles. Here we go. How are we? Good, good. I'm Andy. Um, I'm the youth pastor here at River Glen. Yeah, any guesses what we're talking about? Yeah, not the apocalypse, right? No. <laughs> Sex. And, and more specifically, we're going to be talking about um, lust. And so just real quick, one final warning, right? If you are a parent and you have a small child in here and you are not ready to have the conversation, what is this, daddy? You know, um, now's your chance to go check them into Kid Life where they have uh, more age-appropriate teaching going on this weekend. I heard they were talking on politics this weekend, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, more appropriate, Andy. So uh, I don't know what they're teaching on, but I guarantee it's not sex or politics. So um, anyway, so this past week as, you know, I've been like getting ready, I feel like I've been getting ready for like this mega birds and bees talk that I'm going to deliver. And uh, that's not at all what this is. Uh, this is something different. But we are continuing this series called Poison, and we're looking at different things that can creep into our lives and into our heart and become a, a poison that spreads um, throughout our life and uh, can, uh, can bring baggage, can bring pain, can bring hurt uh, or even destruction. And so this week, as we look at lust, um, it, it's apparent from the video, you know, we went and we did that at Carroll College, it's apparent from this video that there's not like a clear understanding or a clear like consensus about what is the purpose of sex or what is lust. Um, we don't even talk about, uh, you know, sex and lust using those terms, right? And so as a society, we haven't really answered those questions um, very well. And I think that's interesting because sex and lust will um, affect all of us and impact all of us to different degrees, right? Like uh, you can try to avoid it, but it's basically uh, impossible. And so uh, for me, that's interesting because it, it's just always there, but we can't answer these really important questions. And I think that's for a couple reasons. Uh, we have a lot of different backgrounds, right? Um, we have different thoughts. We have different opinions. We have different um, feelings about this topic. You know, one of the things is we all have a different uh, generation that we grew up. Like just this room alone, there's several different generations and we all grew up in a culture that said, you know, this is okay. This is normal. This is not okay, right? And that's different for everyone here. We have um, different church backgrounds. We have a lot of different church backgrounds here at River Glen and that may impact how you view sex or, or, or lust. And then, you know, just growing up, our childhood, you know, maybe our parents taught us something or maybe just looking at their relationship taught us something um, about sex. And so a lot of different voices telling us um, what we ought to think, what we ought to feel, what we ought to uh, believe about sex, and which that's why I think it's so important um, that we look at what the Bible has to say about sex and what uh, Jesus has to say about lust. And so we're just going to dive right in, um, and we're going to be in Matthew 5. And this is uh, commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And here, Jesus, he is giving a sermon, he's giving a message to a large group of people, and he's talking about all areas of life. And what he's trying to say is, hey, here's what it looks like to, to live in my kingdom. Here's what it looks like to follow me and to take me seriously. And he does. He covers a lot of different areas of life, um, and he covers sex and lust. And here is what he says. This is 527. He says, for you have heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So during this sermon, um, he has several of these uh, sections where he's like, you've heard that it was said, 
right? And what he's doing is he's, he's showing how our assumptions are and our perceptions about how we ought to live life don't always match up with how he thinks we ought to live life. And so here he says, um, you know, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So he's referring to this belief, this common belief that, you know what, if you just don't um, physically, uh, you know, cheat on your spouse or, or you know, have adultery with anyone, right? Um, as long as you control your actions, you're okay morally, right? But then he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So according to Jesus, it's not just about our actions. It's about what's going on um, in our heart. And this isn't limited to married people either. He, he, he says anyone and he means man or woman. He's not just talking about men in this case. He's, he's opening it up to everyone. And so just in a couple of sentences, he, he completely changes how we ought to view sex. He challenges our assumptions of uh, what is right and wrong um, in this area. And so let's just start. Let's start this off by getting a, a quick foundation for what the Bible actually says about sex, okay? So get comfortable. This is the Birds, Bees, and Bible Talk uh, by Andy. All right. So in the beginning, God created. He created everything. He created people. He created male, and he created female. And he created all of the male, and he created all of the female, right? Which means he made every um, part of them. And, and that also means that when he created, he created with purpose. There was no um, accident, right? It's not like as God is creating, you know, off in the corner behind a tree is like Satan with some extra body parts waiting to like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Ruined creation. No. That's not how it went down. That would be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> God, all right, in the act of creation, created all parts, created all um, uh, organs, all cells, all glands. He created everything, which means that he created sex. It was his idea, okay? He created it. So we have to view sex through that lens, which means that when we think of sex, we have to realize sex is not uh, a sin. Sex is not a sin. If God created sex and then he gave it to humanity, we need to, we need to start thinking of sex as a gift from God, okay? Creation, bodies, um, sex, food, good coffee, dodgeball. These are all things created by God for humanity to use as a gift and enjoy, right? Which brings us to the ultimate purpose of sex, right? The ultimate purpose of sex is to bring God glory, just as you remember it from eighth grade health class, right? <laughs> Hang with me. God, what God, he, God gives these good gifts to humanity, including sex, okay? He gives sex to humanity, and when we use these gifts the way God planned, the way God intended, um, it's going to bring joy to our life. It's going to point back to him as a good, loving creator. That's why it brings him glory, which means that sex should bring God glory when used within the purposes and within the boundaries um, he established, right? So what are some of these purposes that God intended for sex. Well, just a couple would be intimacy, procreation, and pleasure. So God created sex for intimacy. Genesis 2.24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. All right, so sex enables a man and a woman to become extremely close, right? Intimate, right? It allows you to be full, fully known a a as a person to one other individual. It allows you to be known in a, in a special way 
way. You know, in Genesis 4, a couple chapters later, it actually says, Adam knew Eve and had Cain, all right? This isn't just knowing, this is knowing, all right? And so he knew her in a sexual, intimate way, and it led to uh, their child, all right? The Hebrew word, this is interesting, the Hebrew word for sex, dod, the most sexy word I've ever heard, um, <laughs> dod, uh, actually means a mingling of the souls, right? It, 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 just in its meaning, it shows you don't have sex with a body. You have sex with a person, a human being, right? It's intimate. God created sex for procreation, right? Baby making in, in layman's terms, right? Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. God, God gave us a way to increase in number um, through sex. And then God created sex for pleasure. So instead of me pointing out a verse and reading it and feeling weird, um, I'm going to point you to a book of the Bible called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, all right? And this entire book is, is about love, it's about sex, it's about intimacy, it's about pleasure, okay? And, and I'm not going to read any of it. I'm going to leave that to you to go explore. It might be a, uh, an interesting Bible study or an extremely awkward family devotion, but um, uh, know that, <laughs> know that, um, this is interesting. Uh, Song of Solomon was actually uh, PG-13. Hebrew boys could not read it before the age of 13. And if you have a 13-year-old boy, you know why. So anyway, um, fun fact. But the point is God intended us to enjoy this gift uh, of sex. And so it's clear that sex is a gift from God uh, to be used within a specific context as well. And that context uh, is marriage. So Exodus 2014, this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Like basic morality here. It says you shall not commit adultery. And so adultery would be anything outside uh, of marriage, any sexual activity outside um, of marriage. And, and Jesus defined a marriage like this, he quotes Genesis 2.24 word for word, and he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but they are one, right? So it, it, it's a new kind of relationship that God established. It's a man, it's a woman, it's exclusive, and it's meant to be permanent. It's intimate, right? It's special, it's unique, it's this special relationship, and God created sex to grow that relationship, to develop um, intimacy, pleasure, right, to be used within that relationship. Now, I know that to some of us that might sound old-fashioned or it might sound suppressive or, or exclusive or whatever, but think through this with me because I, I think we miss this sometimes, right? If God designed creation to operate a certain way, like if he designed and created everything with a purpose, right, uh, to operate, to function a specific way, then if we live our lives according to his design and within his design and according to his purposes, then it's going to go best for us, right? As created beings, if we operate in a way that we were meant to operate, we're going to experience the most amount of joy. There's like a bug on my face. <laughs> Did you see that? Anyway, this is like the fourth time this has happened to me in a message. Okay. What was I talking about? Yes, God's creation. <laughs> All right. For instance, right, to give you an analogy, um, I'm not a car guy, but I know a couple things. When the manufacturer recommends something, I should do it, right? If, if a car manufacturer says, hey, you should use this kind of gas, you should use this kind of oil, the tire pressure should be this, right? The fluid should be filled up to this level. 
then the car is going to operate, it's going to function, it's going to last longer when you follow the manufacturer's recommendations, right? When, when you start tinkering with a car and, and, and those things get off, it's going to go bad, right? Ford, what do they know? Just put diesel in it. It'll run. No. <laughs> In the same way, when we start tinkering and messing with the design of sex and its intended purposes and the way God meant for it to work, it's going to go bad for us. It's not going to lead to joy. It's going to lead to destruction. Things are going to break down because we're literally trying to live against the way God designed us to live. And so that brings us back to lust. At the heart of this is lust. Remember, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, as long as you don't commit adultery, you're okay. So he's referring to everything we just talked about regarding sex. If you follow that, right, and, and your actions are lined up with that, you're okay. But, and then he changes everything. He says, but if any of that is going on in your mind, in your heart, in your desires, you have already broken that commandment. You have committed adultery. So Jesus raises the bar. And he calls this lust. And, and lust, you can think of lust as this heart condition, this um, poison of the heart. It's a desire that um, ignores God's purposes for sex, right? It's a desire of our heart that wants to ignore what God says about sex. So people assume lust is, is just a, uh, a sexual desire in general, right? But it, it, it's not, right? Desiring something isn't necessarily bad, right? Desiring something's not necessarily bad, but Jesus is referring to a certain type of sexual desire. It's a sexual desire that thinks of sex wrongly um, and ignores God's purposes. So based on what Jesus says, here's how we can think about lust. Lust is an impersonal desire and an idolatrous desire, all right? So in other words, um, lust desires to remove sex from a certain kind of relationship, and it desires to make it into something that it was never meant to be. Right? So lust is an impersonal desire. When Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, what he's really saying is in your mind you're looking at someone and you're imagining things and you want to have sex with them and you're fooling around with them in your mind. That's literally what he's saying. You're looking at them as if it were real and imagining it. That is extremely impersonal. Right? God intended sex to be self-giving, not self-getting. Right? Lust distorts sex, and it makes it more about us getting something for our own pleasure, our own desire, our own needs. Right? So you take part of the relationship, um, but you don't want all the, all the parts of the relationship. You want to be physically close to someone, but you don't want to be uh, emotionally close, relationally close, uh, legally bound, bound in marriage. Right? You don't want to be socioeconomically close. You want to be totally committed to this person. You just want one aspect of the relationship. And lust strips sex out of that relationship and it makes it selfish. You want the benefits, but you don't want the risk. You don't want to serve. You don't want to love. You don't want to sacrifice. You just want the part that benefits you. You want the physical intimacy without the work of marriage. It's extremely uh, selfish. It's impersonal. And it's one-sided. Think about it. In lust... What you do is in your mind, you're, you're fantasizing about someone, someone you may know, someone you may not know. They don't know that you're doing it. And what you do is you dehumanize them. You, you devalue them. You turn them into an object as opposed to a person. They're an object, and they become a means to an end to satisfy your own desire. This is what lust does to us. It's impersonal. It's selfish. And then lust is idolatrous. Lust 
lustful desire, turns sex into something it wasn't meant to be. So instead of sex being viewed as a gift that could be enjoyed to glorify God, right? We view it as a God, something that's going to fill this void in our life. So instead of sex being viewed as a gift that points back to God, sex becomes our God, and it's the place that we go to to find happiness, to find fulfillment, to find value, to find love, to find um, meaning and worth, and it was never meant to fill that void in our life, right? Everything we're supposed to find in a relationship with God Lust says, no, 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 look over here. You'll find it over here. And this desire takes over our heart. It can take over our life. And it, it, it forces us to just chase these fleeting pleasures because we have this void in our life. These fleeting pleasures of, of casual sex or self-fulfillment or you know, looking for the one person who's going to make me happy, who's going to satisfy all my desires. Or we become discontent within our marriages thinking, you know, someone better is out there. Right? all because we view sex as something that it's not. Lust is idolatrous, it's impersonal, and it's destructive. Here's a list of some, uh, some things I could think of and then some statistics I found. Lust leads to use or addiction of pornography. Right? The largest group that consumes pornography in America is 12 to 17-year-olds. Two-thirds of men and one-half of women um, believe that uh, viewing pornography is okay. Lust leads to sexual addiction. 48% of women and 55% of men masturbate weekly. Lust leads to casual sex, right? And what this does is this ends up um, devaluing ourselves. It hurts others. It devalues people. It makes us selfish. It makes us callous. It desensitizes us to this thing that is supposed to be intimate and special and unique, and it turns it into just... One more thing, and it starts pretty early. Nearly half of teens in America have had sex by the age of 16. Lust ruins relationships that haven't even been formed yet, right? So you carry expectations into a marriage that someone cannot fulfill. You carry experiences into a marriage that you cannot forget, you cannot overcome, and it can lead to pain, it can lead to bitterness, it can lead to hurt or shame. Lust ruins current relationships it can cause men to prefer 2D images on a screen over their wife in the next room. Or it can cause women to prefer a character in a book over their husband sitting next to them in bed. These mental affairs, according to Jesus, are real affairs. Right? And they can lead to real affairs and physical affairs, and ruin marriages. Lust can lead to divorce. Within a marriage, what can happen is, because we believe this lie that sex is this thing, this thing that has to, uh, it's filling a void in my life, and it's going to make me happy, and it's going to do all these things for me. Well, if we're not getting that from our spouse, we're going to start looking somewhere else. Right? We're going to think, oh, someone else will satisfy this hole in my life, this void. Lust leads to sexual abuse. Leads to rape, it fuels the sex trade industry, the sex trafficking industry, and on and on and on and on. It is a poison in our heart that leads to destruction. When we take something that God meant for good and we turn it into something it's not, it's only going to disappoint us, it's going to lead to destruction, and it's going to lead ultimately to death. So, what do we do with all this? What do we do with this? All right, where do we go? Well, couple things. First, we need to guard our heart, right? Jesus is pretty clear. We ought to do something, right? He says in verse 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, 
Tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. All right? So pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. Let's pray. (laughs) Horrible advice. (laughs) Um, Is Jesus being literal here? No. Jesus is using, uh, he's challenging our assumptions, remember? He's challenging our assumptions, and he's using shocking language and these really graphic metaphors to show us that, you know what? Your behavior matters when it comes to lust because the Sermon on the Mount is all about the heart. He's going after our heart here and what we really value and what we really love, and so he wants to show us, hey, when it comes to this, your actions matter, right? Not just the actions that flow from uh, the heart, which he alludes to with the hand, but the actions that fuel the heart, which he uh, alludes to with the eye. Okay, listen to what he says again. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we, three key words, looks, looking, what we view, intent, it's our mind, it's our choices, and our heart. Lustful desire comes from the heart. It, it starts in the heart. Ben last week referenced this verse um, in Matthew 9, uh, 15, 19, where it says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, including uh, adultery and sexual immorality. So lust is a desire of the heart, but it can be fueled um, by what we look at and what we think about. It fuels the heart. So in order to guard the heart, what we need to do is guard our senses, so what we uh, see and what we hear, and we need to guard our thoughts, what we think about, right? And because if we don't, We'll expose ourselves to images. We'll expose ourselves to ideas. They'll sit in our mind. They'll, we'll dwell on them. They'll linger there. And then eventually they're going to become uh, desires of our heart. And once something becomes a desire of our heart, it's only a matter of time before that works its way out through some sort of action and into our lives. So senses fuel the mind. The mind fuels the heart. The heart fuels our actions. So knowing that, we can kind of develop a plan to guard our heart. Right? So if lust starts with taking in images and thoughts, then what we need to do, right, as followers of Jesus, we need to do whatever we can to put up barriers that stop us from going down some road or some path that's going to lead to us being exposed to something that might lead to lustful thoughts. Right? It means putting up barriers in your life to limit the choices or limit the chances, I'm sorry, limit the chances of you seeing or hearing something that will create lustful thoughts. Right? So here's a self-assessment. You can ask yourself these questions. What boundaries do you have set up to protect your eyes and your mind? Do you have any? Does your spouse or someone you trust have access to your browser history, your smartphone password? Are you willing to eliminate some privacy in your life to eliminate temptation and lust in your life? Do you need software, right, to monitor your computer use and your phone use or whatever, um, whatever it is that you do in secret? Do you need to draw the line on what sorts of movies you watch, TV shows you watch? Do you have any idea what you're actually about to expose yourself to when you watch something? Where does your mind wander when you encounter sexually uh, suggestive content or, or nudity, right? Do you need to limit who you follow on social media? Do you need to limit what you view and who you view on social media, right? Social media can become very emotional. Do you need to be friends with all your old girlfriends, all your old boyfriends? Do you need to be looking at their vacation photos from five years ago? And if you are, don't like them, right? That's creepy. (laughs) It's a dead giveaway. The point is, we need to draw the line 
beforehand where we say, you know what, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go there because I don't know what's going to happen if I do, right? So we set up these boundaries. And there's an organization called X, uh, right? And it makes this great piece of software called X3 Watch, which uh, runs on your computer, runs on your phone. It actually monitors everything that you do. And when you wander into a part of the internet, you shouldn't wander on a site you shouldn't be. It alerts someone, right? It alerts someone you trust, who you pick, not so they can condemn you, right? But so they can, like, support you and love you and help you because we need barriers in our life. IMDB.com, PluggedIn.com, which is actually a Christian site, both those sites give details about sexual content in movies, right? How many of us blindly go into a movie having no idea what we're going to encounter, what we're going to see, right? We need to set up boundaries. We need to prepare ourselves. Two simple questions you can ask yourself to determine where your line should be, right? First one, does this honor God? Does this honor God? And the second one, if you're married, is does this honor my spouse? Right? If it doesn't, you should draw a line. Right? Use those questions um, as a guide to help you. Right? So also, um, <laughs> fly. All right. This is for married couples. All right? If we're drawing lines to protect ourselves and guard our hearts, then what we need to do is we also... Um, need to protect our marriages by enjoying um, God's gift of sex the right way, right? So to protect ourselves from bad desires, we need to be enjoying the good desires, right? In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul straight up says, do not deprive one another, right? And he's talking about sex. He's talking to married couples. He's saying, hey, don't deprive one another, right? If we enjoy and we use sex the way God intended to, then we're going to experience intimacy. We're going to experience pleasure the way he wants us to. And if we do, we're no longer going to be uh, as tempted to go find a way to satisfy those desires in a lustful way, right, in a sinful way, all right? So if we're talking practical steps, right, have you talked to your spouse about the purpose of sex in your marriage, how important it is to build intimacy, the idea of pleasure and enjoying one another, right? I think we limit sex to just, I think it's time to have a baby, right? We need to talk about the purpose of sex in a marriage, right? Get on the same page with one another. Talk to one another, right? And then, right, this is the other practical step that I'm going to tell you to do. Do not deprive one another. Take care of business, all right? You heard it in church. You heard it from the Bible first, right? If you're married, have sex, all right, so um, today, Packers win, celebrate, okay? And if they lose, celebrate twice to make up for the loss, all right? <laughs> there are teens out there like, oh. right? You're going you're gonna to be on Facebook later, and someone's going to be like celebrating the Packer win, and you're just going to laugh at them. You're just going to like, oh, you don't even know what that means. All right. <laughs> Guard your heart by protecting your thoughts, guard your marriage by enjoying what God has given you, all right? Now, you're probably thinking, Andy, okay, I understand this, this idea of protection and our need for um, protecting our thoughts, but, you know, you can't protect yourself against everything, right? Like, just being a human means you're going to be exposed to things. You're going to see things you can't unsee. You're going to hear things you can't unhear. Maybe you have a past and you have experiences that are memories that do not go away. I get it. I get it, right? 
They linger, they pop up. What do you do? This is why we also need to develop discernment of our mind. So we protect our mind, but we also need to develop discernment of our minds. So if lustful intent, which is what Jesus calls it, means we've made up our minds to dwell on something, what we need to do is develop um, discernment so we can say, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to push that out of my mind. So when something pops up into my mind, we have a choice. You have a choice. You can't always control if it pops into your mind, but you do have a choice if it stays there. Am I going to think about this? Is this good? Is this healthy? Is this wise? Or am I going to buy into the lie that this is good, that this will lead to happiness, that this is going to lead to a moment of pleasure, and this is okay, right? In order to make that right choice, we have to be able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is a lie, right? Because the lie would be, this is okay, right? This is all right that I do this. This isn't hurting anyone. We rationalize. We justify Right? This is, no one knows. This is just a little daydreaming, just a little fantasizing. Right? My, my husband, he doesn't satisfy my needs. My wife, she doesn't fa- satisfy my needs. I need to be happy. I'm all alone. I need something. Right? It's no big deal. That's a lie. And in order to discern those lies in our mind, we have to be able to develop discernment. Right? Which is why if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to take Romans 12.2 seriously. This is what Paul says. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Right? This is why reading, studying, learning Scripture, getting into a small group where you, where you dig into the Bible, or even memorizing Scripture is so important. Because what you need is truth. Right? When those things pop in your mind, you're not going to run and be like, where's my Bible? Right? You, you need those in your mind already at hand, there, so you know, no, I'm not going down that path. We're at a point in history where there's resources uh, everywhere, right? Online, books, um, podcasts, right? I mentioned triplexchurch.com. They have an amazing uh, amount of resources to help people um, develop a different view of sex and lust, develop um, habits. Um, they have an online course people can take privately to deal with this kind of thing, to help people overcome uh, some of these desires, right? But the greatest resource is always going to be Scripture. It's always going to be the Word of God. Here's what Hebrews 4.12 says. It says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is not just a book. It's a, mention, it's a message from God for us about who he is, about who we are, about our condition, about our desires, about our need for him. Right? So it's like when we read it, it opens up our hearts and reveals who we really are. Right? And it opens up our minds and we need to fill it with, with truth. So we can push thoughts from our mind. So when uh, a lustful thought pops into your mind, you have something ready, right? First Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but a sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It's destructive. It hurts you. It desensitizes you. When you think of, think, oh, you know what? This is my little secret. No one knows. I'm not harming anyone. No one's going to find out. Romans 2.16 On that day, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Uh, Between you and God, there are no secrets. There are no secrets. When you start to consider the benefits of lust, and you think, you know what, this is good for me. I need this. I deserve this. 
right? Without this, I'm not going to be whole. And you start considering going down that path and carrying out some actions, right? Romans 6.21, but what fruit, what benefits did you get at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death, right? Sin only leads to destruction. It only leads to disappointment. Momentary pleasure, sure, right? A night of happiness where you feel loved, maybe, but it always ends in destruction. It always ends with shame. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It never satisfies, ever. Maybe you've made your mind up and you're like, yeah, I believe that. I don't want to go down that road, but I am weak and I cannot deal with this amount of temptations. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's not about like bicep curls or running a marathon. This is about following Jesus and, and dealing with these temptations and feeling weak and trusting him when we think we can't do it. Right? These are all verses that um, I memorize, not because I'm awesome, not because I'm a pastor, right? but because I'm weak. And I lie to myself more than anyone else lies to me. And what I need to do is I need to preach truth to myself more than I listen to my lies. So I, we, all need truth. We all need a dose of truth to help us discern. So we develop boundaries to protect our thoughts and discernment to guard our hearts. Right? And that's the very practical stuff we can do. This is very practical, right? But I don't want you to think that I'm just up here saying, hey, if you just do this and you don't do that, you're going to eliminate lust from your life, right? Because that's not true. That's not true. Rather, I hope you see that if you guard your heart, it can lead to joy. It can lead to um, uh, health. It can lead to uh, experiencing life. But the reality is if we don't deal with the lust in our heart, that's already there, Right? It's going to work its way out into our life. It's going to show itself. It's going to lead to destruction. So in, in order to fully experience life, we have to deal with the heart, right? We can protect ourselves. We can develop discernment. We can do all these things, which is good and healthy. But if we don't deal with what's going on in here, we're never going to be free from lust and its desires, Right? I know that because it's pretty much my story. It's pretty much my past, my history. Right? I don't want you to think of I'm up here because I was voted like the pure pastor. Okay? Um, <laughs> apparently people know me and they're laughing. Um, I'm up here as someone who can say, I'm no different than a lot of you. I struggle. I struggle. Right? I have a past. I have done things and thought things that make me think, how could God love this person, right? Things that don't come out of the memory easy, things that won't leave my past, right? I've been there. I'm weak. I struggle, right? And if that resonates with you, right, regardless of how much you guard your heart, you know there's baggage, there's, there's memories, there's shame, there's regret, there's guilt, but there is hope. There is hope. It doesn't come in the form of cleaning up your heart. It comes in the form of a new heart, which comes through faith in Jesus. The reality is you're going to lust during your lifetime. All of us, to some degree, will lust, will have this desire to view sex wrongly and make it something that it's not meant to be, Right? but you can't just guard your heart. You have to give your heart over to Christ so he can start to heal it. Listen to this passage. This is Paul again. He says, 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He is saying, you are not that anymore. You need to remember who you are because you aren't that right? You are not that. The stuff that used to define you and control you and rule your life, the lust, the sexual desires, the sin, because of Christ is gone, it's dealt with, it is not you anymore. You've been washed, you've been forgiven, you've been sanctified, you've been changed, you've been justified, you've been accepted by the God of the universe. The problem is we don't believe it. We don't always believe that. And what we do is we fall back into these old habits. We're new people who fall into old habits. And we think, I can't get over this. I can't change. I'm a sinner, right? I can't change. And then you give in, and that reinforces this idea that you're a sinner. And it's a cycle, and it does not break. And what you need to do is you need to start believing who you are, who you've been made into, that you've been changed, what Jesus has done for you. Right? The first step, you need to believe that through faith in Christ, you have been transformed. You have been given a new heart, a new life, new desires. Right? Believe that Jesus has given you that new heart, and then make him the object your heart longs for. Love Jesus more than you love lust. Right? Lustful desires, they're going to tell you, you need this. In order to be happy, in order to feel whole, in order to feel like you're a human being and experience life, you need this. If you could just get with her, if you could just have him, if you could just have this momentary pleasure, you'll be whole. You are longing for the wrong things. Lust is only going to disappoint you. It does not work. It does not lead to happiness. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't. Only Knowing, loving, trusting Christ can fill that void in your life, that hole in your life that exists. Jesus can. He can free you from lust. He can change you, and he can give you life. Everything you're looking for, he can give it to you, right? And if you haven't yet, here is how you receive that promise. Here is how you receive that change, right? First, you repent. If, if sin is rejecting God and rejecting his way, then repenting is turning to God and accepting his ways, accepting who he is, accepting him because he loves you and he will fill that void in your life, right? And then you turn from your ways, you confess him to God, you receive forgiveness, it will be given to you and you believe in Jesus. You believe who he is, you believe what he did for you and you walk through life free, free of those desires, free of lust, free of sin, not carrying this weight on your shoulders, feeling like you never measure up, you can't do this. That is not what Jesus... Jesus offers life. He offers joy, right? To express this belief, this repentance and this belief, Jesus would say, get baptized, right? If you've never been baptized because of your belief in Jesus, I encourage you to do it. Do it, all right? It's a chance for you to publicly identify with Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, and say, you know what? That is gone. It's dead. This is who I am now. I am following Jesus. I am obeying him. He is my God, my King. There's a baptism in three weeks. There's information in your program. Uh, check that out if that's you.
Here's the deal. God is not after our begrudging submission in this area. He wants us to experience life. He wants us to experience joy. Right? He wants us to be free. And if we turn from lustful desires and instead look to what Jesus says about lust and what he says about sex and what he offers us in a new heart, we will be free. We will experience life. We will experience joy. Right? Remember, Jesus came to give us life, and we need to remember that more than anything else. Best way I know how to remember that is through communion. Every week as a community, we take communion, we remember what Jesus did on the cross. And so in a moment, all believers are welcome to take, uh, to participate in communion. We take the bread, which represents his body, and, and we take the juice that represents his blood and his life, and we remember that on that cross, he gave that up. He gave up his life so we could have life. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion. Lord, I thank you for hope. Um, I thank you that you give hope to people who are weak uh, like me, that you offer hope to husbands who want to change, who want to be more loving, who don't want to do the things they do or think the things they think, that you offer hope to the wife that wants to love and honor her husband, that you offer hope so she can do that, so she can overcome whatever it is, to the single person who thinks it is impossible to live this out in this world, that you offer hope to do it, to the teen who is under immense pressure to conform to what society says they gotta be and they gotta do, you offer hope to live this out. You offer the hope of change that any of us who do struggle, who do have a past, who are currently struggling to this day, can change, right? We, we just thank you for your forgiveness because we all need it and the grace that you've shown all of us that whatever we came in here with today, the baggage, the, whatever we're carrying around, the shame, the regret, the guilt that we came in here with this morning, that you love us anyway, Right? You don't love some future cleaned up version of us. You love us as we are right now, this minute. With all our mess and all our baggage, you love us. I ask that you help us believe that because it's so hard to believe. Just help us love you more. Um, help us build up these boundaries and, and, and discernment in our life so we can guard our heart, but most importantly, transform us. Transform us from the heart out. Change our heart. Help us love you more. Show us all that Jesus is better um, and that he is the only way that we can experience real life um, in this world. And we love you and we thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.